All the kids can go ahead and take off. And um, junior high kids, you are over here in the community room, not up in the junior high room, just to let you know. Hey, I have the uh, pleasure of introducing our speaker today. We have a guest speaker. Um, His name is Steve Sewell. And Steve lives here in St. Joe. He's married, has four kids, and his favorite favorite kid is with him today, obviously, yes. So um, his favorite daughter, for sure. He's been a pastor for 25 years, and um, he's a counselor. He's an author. He has a new book out that just came out, so that's pretty cool. Um, I think the, you know, sometimes it's like when you're introducing someone that's speaking, like, why, why should you listen to this guy? Um, but I think one of the coolest things about Steve and a reason that we should listen to Steve um, is he's really been a friend of Wellspring from the very beginning. And he was a pastor of a church when we first started, and he let us come into his church. And we had church service there for a while for all of you folks that were uh, with Wellspring from the very beginning. That was Steve's church. And uh, he has just been a great friend to Bob, and he is just really for us. He's been a guy that's been in our corner from the very beginning. And um, just a great friend of a lot of people here personally and for our church. So, Steve, come on up. Well, I'm uh, very excited to be here. Thank you. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, looking around and, and uh, seeing seeing people, so it's really good to, to see you. Uh, and I tell you what, um, being here is pretty exciting because... Um, I have been a fan of uh, Wellspring for, uh, from the beginning, and I remember when Bob called me and said, uh, hey, can we use your building? And, and uh, my immediate thought was uh, uh, no. <laughs> uh, and the reason why is because um, I, didn't want, I didn't want people, and this is, the, this is the hardship of pastoring sometimes, just like uh, businesses will be, we're kind of territorial. And so I didn't want anybody to come to Wellspring if they weren't coming to my church. <laughs> Is that lame or what? Yeah. But I tell you what, after I had a check in my heart, I realized that that's, that's probably the best thing that um, we've ever done. And um, there's something about Bob that... Uh, um, I, I enjoy being with him. I mean, he, he asks, man, he asks hard questions. <laughs> um, and uh, he, he's, he's good to me, and he's, uh, he's been a good friend, and he's been a good prayer partner. I meet with him uh, almost, uh, if we're not meeting, at least two times a month, and, you know, something's wrong. Uh, but I uh, just really, really appreciate him. And I appreciate you. How many of you uh, are um, from Young Life? Yeah. Um, I have been um, really thankful for the Young Life Ministry, um, and I know Phil and the rest of the uh, group um, and the leaders, in spite that, just do an amazing job. And, um, and I've been wanting to say that publicly for, I don't know, probably two or three weeks. I've just had it on my heart, and uh, so I want to say thank you for, for your, your church, for Wellspring, to being able to sponsor and help and encourage and make, make room uh, so I'm really, really glad uh, to be able to say that. I really, really like uh, what's happening um, within Young Life and, uh, and with the ministry. And I know Bob's been a, been a little bit of a part of that. So um, I want to encourage you this morning. I'm, I'm the type of guy that likes to come around 
next to you and, and kind of put my arm around you or put my hand on your shoulder and kind of nudge you a little bit with, with scripture and with uh, some encouragement, some comfort. One of the things that um, I did uh, in December, I finished writing a book that I've been thinking about for a long, long time, and it's called At a Loss. And I wanted to write that for people who um, don't know what to do when someone comes up to them and says, hey, my grandmother's in the hospital, or my friend just died, or I think I'm going through a divorce. A lot of times we just don't know what to say. So sometimes we'll say really bad things, or we'll say uh, nothing, and then we don't encourage at all. And uh, so um, I'm really, uh, I really love to kind of come alongside people that way. And today I want to talk to you about something that sneaks into our life um, that will cause us to not care, that will cause you to uh, feel so separate without you even knowing. And it's a poison that can actually come up uh, very similar to uh, like a, uh, a chemical warfare. Um, when I pastored in Oregon State, we had just... Uh, discovered that they were going to put a um, chemical stockpile disposal program right in our city. Of course, everybody wants Agent Orange in their city, right? So, um, you know, there was a big, big um, uh, campaign to educate the community and things like that. This actually is coming straight from that campaign. And I want to read just a couple of things to you, just kind of get us started. Chemical agents are topics... Toxic compounds which have been manufactured for military use. There are two types of, of uh, chemical agents in the U.S. stockpile, mustard and nerve agents. Mustard agent damages all tissue it contacts, causing burns or blisters to form on the skin or other tissue. Nerve agents interfere with nerve impulses that control breathing, muscle contraction, and gland, sec- and, uh, gland secretion. The effects from mustard agents typically show up for four to six hours after exposure, and exposure to high concentrations of this agent results in more severe symptoms with an earlier time of onset. Nerve agents are rapidly acting within symptoms appearing in less than 15 minutes following exposure to agent vapor. At normal temperatures, nerve agent GV vaporizes within hours posing a respiratory hazard. Nerve agent VX can stay in a liquid form for days, making a skin contact. Here's why this is all important. However, at high temperatures, it's also a breathing hazard. Rockets, mines, bombs, and projectiles containing chemical agent, which is dispersed when the weapon explodes, makes them virtually undetectable. Undetectable. I don't know about you, but virtually undetectable means I don't know it happens until after it happens. It's like bad breath. You don't really know that you have bad breath until someone says, hey, your breath stinks. And then it's like, oh, shoot, what do I do now? And then you cover your mouth, and that makes it worse because now your mouth and your hand stinks. And so, you know, you're just like, okay, what do I do now? And so there's this, this thought of, okay, what do I do here? And oftentimes, I think in life, don't you just sometimes just don't know what to do when you, 
when the unthinkable happens, when things don't go the way that you'd like for them to go, you don't really know exactly how to go about doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I'll tell you something that sneaks into my life or sneaks into your life is pride. It's pride. Pride sneaks in. I want to uh, encourage you to look at with me First uh, Corinthians chapter 13. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. It's the love chapter. Every, uh, a lot of people know this as, uh, as the one that they uh, quote in their marriage ceremony. Uh, and this is uh, what it says here in First um, Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. And it's right up there on the screen there. So, um, uh, excuse me, verses 4. Excuse me, we're going to start at verse 4. So, I don't know if you got it. I think we're going to start at verse 4 and hopefully see how it goes. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Verse 7, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Mother Teresa, when she won the Nobel Peace Prize, the big campaign at that time was, we're going to Disneyland. I don't know if you remember this or not, but back in the day, uh, there, there was a big campaign to boost Disneyland's attendance and boost its, its uh, energy and its, all its uh, campaign of marketing and stuff like that. So these famous people would say, hey, you just won the President of the United States. What are you going to do? And oh, I'm going to Disneyland. You know, I just failed my test. Yes, in English. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to Disneyland. Yes. Uh, I just won my business account for the one that I've been thinking about for years and years. What are you going to do now? Well, I'm going to go to Disneyland. So they asked Mother Teresa the question. Of course, Mother Teresa being, you know, the saint of service and, and thinking beyond herself and looking at others before she looks at herself. And, and they said, Mother Teresa, you just won the Nobel Peace Prize. What are you going to do? And she goes, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to Calcutta and I'm going to sweep my neighbor's floor. Most of us don't have Sayings like that. We don't have, you know, we don't, we don't do things like that, you know. I just won my, my the, the account that I've been hoping for in landing. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go party. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to sweep my neighbor's floor. I'm certainly not even thinking about my neighbor, especially the one that hasn't returned my shovel yet. So, you know, we have all of that. A lot of people know about love. A lot of people talk about love. A lot of people study about love, but not as very much loving going around, is there? It's challenging because love and pride are opposites. They're opposites. And I know in my own life, I can talk about love a lot. I'm a pastor. I've been doing that. I can act like it. I can fake it. My kids can spot it right away. Dad, you're not loving right now. As I was coming in the door, I was talking about how cool I am, and Sam was bold, full, and she's going to be punished later for this, but um, she told me that I wasn't cool, and I, for just a moment, I cried. I didn't let her see it, though, but I cried, and I said, you know what? I am cool, 
But that's pride sneaking in my heart. And she goes, Dad, you're really not cool. <laughs> you don't have any hair, and you're not cool. So <laughs> she's constantly telling me, Dad, your baby hairs are sticking up. Oh, no, wait, that's just nothing. <laughs> pride can sneak into our lives, can it? You don't even realize it. You don't even know that pride is sneaking in my life, your life. You, you can see it in other people's lives. You can't really see it. Pride is that me first attitude. Um, Proverbs 11 verse 2 says, uh, pride and disgrace, they go together hand in hand. Proverbs 16 verse 18 says, pride equals a destruction in your life. You know, we sound so good. We sound so religious. We sound so spiritual. We teach Sunday school or we, we sit in the pews and we, we have a Bible in our hands. We pray once in a while. We give our, our tithes and yet we're so full of pride sometimes that we don't even see what's happening and we can't see the scripture where it says love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not proud. And I think we all suffer from this uh, cyanide, don't we? This, this pride cyanide that comes in. Um, I remember my, my son, Mike, he's uh, 20. Mike uh, was talking to his younger brother, Mark, who's a uh, senior this year, graduating from Benton, go Benton. And uh, uh, Mark is, I think he's probably about two at this time, two or three. He's just talking and just not really sure what he's saying. Nobody can really figure out what a two-year-old says, right? And so Mike is talking to him, and he's encouraging him. He says, Mark, you have a name about a person in the Bible. And Mark smiles, you know, and so I said, yeah, your name is Mark, and there's a book after your name. And Mark's just, you know, taking it all in while he's eating his chip, you know, or whatever. And uh, Mark's, uh, Mark's just laughing, and, and Mike is saying, yeah, this is really great. But me, I'm an angel. <laughs> And I think, though, don't we do that? We kind of one-up one another. Boy, you're having a good day. Man, that's good, man. You just got that going good. But my day's going a little better. Yeah. yeah. Hey, who plays the banjo here? That's rocking. Who rocked the banjo? Who, where is that guy? I, I've never heard banjo rock out like that. That was good. Yeah. But I can probably do a little better. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. You know, I've never picked up the banjo. Actually, I hate country. But you know what? <laughs> I could probably do a little better. That's a little prideful. Those are obvious times, right? When someone else one-ups you and says, yeah, you got that tan going? No, my tan's a little better, sorry. You know, your hair? Well, yeah, actually, your hair is better because I don't have any. But it, it, it is cool. And have you ever gone up to a mother, moms, have you ever gone up to a mother and, and uh, say, boy, you know, you, you, uh, you really don't know how to parent your child, do you? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a no-no. You don't do that. Yet we do that all the time, though, don't we? We have it in our heads, or we think through how pride comes into our life. Pride makes us vulnerable to the devil's attack in our life to bring us down. If there's, a, if there's one thing that I really w- would love for you to remember today, if, if I can leave you with one thought that this is why you should listen today, is pride will take you down and you won't know you're down until, it's, until you're down. 
And nobody likes to be around people that are prideful. Nobody likes to be around people that know it all, that have all the answers, all the time, for every situation. And even though I say that, and that sounds like every teenager that I know, it's still, it's beyond that, I want to know everything. It's that I do know everything. It's I don't need you, God. I don't need anybody. I don't need to pray. I don't need to do anything. I got this. Without having this heart of surrender, without having this idea of, God, maybe you have something for me today. Maybe I can learn something today from somebody else. Maybe I can learn from my experience of pain. Maybe I can learn from somebody that knows so much more than I do. And maybe I should just be a learner more so than think that I have it all together. I go to this entrepreneurial club on Wednesdays morning, and, and I really feel inspired when I go there. And, um, and I'm seeing these people that have great presentations, that do great work. They're wonderful at starting up their businesses. And there's one part of it that makes them vulnerable, and they have to share why they're there, what they need help in. And almost every single time that I hear a presentation like this, they always say, here's what I'm failing at. Here's what I don't know what to do. Have you ever been in your life where you just don't know what to do? Well, if you're prideful, you don't say that. You just say, well, it'll all come out. But it doesn't all come out. The character of love is what we need to have. And when I suggest to you that the character of love is a heart that's filled with God. It's a heart filled with God. And I know for me that my heart fills up with pride faster than anything else with three areas that I know for me. And maybe, maybe God would show you in your own life maybe one of these things. And first of all, I can tell that pride sneaks into my life through the tall tail sign of being unteachable, being unteachable. Ecclesiastes 4.13 says, better a poor young but wise man than an old king who is foolish and won't receive wisdom. Let me read that again. Ecclesiastes 4.13, this is a good one for you to have written down or underlined or highlighted. Better a poor, young, but wise man than an old king who is foolish and won't receive wisdom. You ever been around someone that knows it all? And they won't, they won't take any other instruction. They won't, they won't give uh, any insight it's, it's, it's almost like God is saying here, I can make use of a young person who is teachable rather than someone who knows it all in order to have the character of love. Maybe we need to get off of our high horse. Maybe we just need to realize that if I'm unteachable, I could make it easy for myself to follow the masses. And usually, when I'm following the masses, the M is silent. Some of you will get that in a couple minutes. But we desire to have this triple A life, right? 
acclaim, applause, attention, and we want all of this stuff on our own, and we want to be known for the guy that did this, known for the guy that does this. We, know, we want to be known for the, you know, this accomplishment. And there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of attention for the sake of giving others the tools or the trade or the skills or the character, the values, the virtues. There's nothing wrong with that. But what takes it over the top is when you think that you got it all together. Is when you think you got it all together. I remember talking to a pastor and I said, hey Dave, can you help me with ways that I can reach my community? This is when I was first starting out. I was still a youth pastor, and I was just learning some new things. And Dave says, you know what, Steve? I've been thinking about this. I've been waiting for you to come to my office and tell me this because I hear. And then he lifted up this, this went to his drawer, and he lifted up this page. He says, I have 15 ways that you can learn from me. And I said, just send me the email. I don't want to know that. I don't, I don't want to be around people like that. I want to be around people that connect with me, that know how to love. But Dave knew it all. I don't want to be around him. Then this AAA lifestyle, maybe that's you too. But maybe we need to get off of our high horse. Pride is the poison that breaks down the barriers. It breaks down pathways for God to use us. It, breaks, it causes us to be able to say, Lord... I've been walking this earth for a while now, and I don't need you. Don't worry, I'll call you if I need you. And how awkward that sounds, I'm sure, to someone who wants to follow God and wants to follow the, the word and, and be a learner in, in finding, discovering, and, and identifying ways for God to teach you, and how awkward that is to sound, right? God, I don't need you, I got this. But we do that all the time, though. We just say it differently by not saying anything, by not coming to him and saying, God, I need you. Walking through a very difficult time, such as losing someone. And the end of life time, I've been a hospice chaplain for uh, 10 years and just walked out of that in July and still people are, are, they just don't know what to do and so they do nothing. Instead of saying, God, can you show me? I remember asking someone, what does your faith say about the end of life? And their response was, I don't know. I'm too busy to find out. And I said, can I, can, can I just lead you in prayer for a moment? And I hadn't even got out. Oh, God, how I need you for my friend here. He began to bawl. He began to cry and weep like he had never wept before. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I, and I stopped in the middle of the prayer and I said, what's, what's happening? He says, I haven't prayed in a long time and I felt shameful about that. If you're here this morning and you haven't prayed through something that you really need to pray about, I want you to know that God is welcoming you. He has his arms welcoming you. He has has his ear attentive to your prayer. And he wants to hear from you. And he wants to pour out his spirit in your life. But if you will just...
begin to be teachable. And sometimes when, you, when, when I say or when you hear the word teachable, you always hear, well, you're going to have to learn new things. But oftentimes it's not. It's about just remembering what you've learned. I had a wonderful experience about two years ago. I went through the entire book of Psalms. I loved every single minute of it. It took nine months for me to have a devotional time in the book of Psalms. It was probably one of the best things I've ever done in my life in terms of all of my studying for, in the scripture. And I will read something in the Psalms now, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember God, yeah, I remember this. This was so good. I remember this, and wow. And I see myself learning something that I didn't pay attention to then, or maybe I didn't have the capacity for. Being teachable. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Are you teachable in your marriage? Or do you have it all together? Are you the king of your house, king of your castle? Or would you allow God to help you Sift out. Students, are you the king of everything? In your home, you know everything about everything, and your parents don't know anything. I'm kind of giving you a little parents. I'm giving you a little hoop here, okay? Um, uh, But you know what? You don't know it all. And maybe mom, maybe dad, maybe uncle, maybe grandma and grandpa, maybe your neighbor actually could help you. They might even be able to help you get that job that you need to pay your insurance. Maybe they might help you be able to figure out a new way of scheduling because you can't keep things straight. Ladies, maybe you are seeking to do something great in your life, to be a great mother, to be a great friend to your group of friends, but you're too busy thinking that you got it all together. And God would say, if you would listen, if you would have me come into your life and change some things or direct you to some things, you would actually be the kind of woman that God, that I says the Lord would have you to be. When I stop learning, I allow the devil to begin to lace my life with the chemical warfare of pride. The second area that I know that I could see pride coming into my life is similar to the first one, the unteachable, but it's me not being filled with prayer or for me being prayerless. It's the attitude of, Lord, I've been walking with you for a long time. I don't need you. I don't need to pray anymore. I know the Lord's prayer. I know what the Bible says about prayer, and I got this, Lord. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, probably a really familiar verse if you've been around the scriptures at all, but not by power, not by might, but by the Spirit of the Lord. By the Spirit of the Lord. B.B. King is probably one of the best guitarists in the United States, probably world. I, I would probably count him. Banjo Man, would you say that B.B. King, Banjo Man, that's nice, huh? <laughs> you probably didn't know your name was that, huh? I don't even know your name. I don't really care. But um, <laughs> would you say that B.B. King is one of the greats? Yes, he would. Okay, I don't really care what he says. But yes, B.B. <laughs> King. And then also, 
Eric Clapton, right? Everybody knows Eric Clapton, Slohan. Okay, those two greats together, amazing. One of the greatest album covers ever put together was B.B. King driving the car, and Eric Clapton is in the back. I'm riding with the king. That'd be smoking. Wouldn't that be awesome if you were on that album cover, right? It'd be awesome if you were on that album cover. Yeah, and ride with the king. This is what prayer is, riding with the king. The king's driving. Jesus is driving. Jesus is in charge of your life. Jesus is the ruler of your life, and you're riding with him. You are sitting with the king. Your prayer-filled heart is all about what God wants for you, and it's this idea of true godly authority comes only when we begin to be under that authority. When you and I wake up in the mornings and we go through our day and we end our day, that's what it means to pray without ceasing. A lot of people say, well, pray without ceasing. That means I have to constantly be in prayer. You know, I can't talk to my friends. I'm sorry. I really like you. I appreciate you, but I can't talk to you right now because I'm talking to the Father, and he's way more important than you. So please step aside. You know, we, we don't, we, it, it, it kind of looks like that, but it's not. Praying always, praying without ceasing is having this idea, oh, Lord, I'm coming out to my friend Gary, Eric here, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to be a blessing to him. Lord, show me. It's not when someone comes up to you and tells you a problem, and you say, oh, I'm going to be praying for you, and they say, oh, thank you, I really appreciate it. Then the next time you see him, you go, oh, I forgot to pray for him. God, I just pray you touch on his life. Hey, I've been praying for you. you know, it's not that. It's when you actually begin to pray and think about what God would want to do in someone else's life. Thinking about, go, oh, God, I need you in my life. I discovered a long time ago, the more confidence that I have, the less God confidence I have. There was a number of flight accidents in small craft air, airplanes um, back about 10 years ago. All over the country, there was this huge epidemic of crashes, small planes crashing. And the FAA got together and they were trying to figure out what in the world is happening. A lot of people say, well, it's because uh, the instruments were not operating well, or maybe the, um, the pilots were uh, tired and they weren't getting enough rest. Some of them were saying, well, you know, the, the gas must have run out or something with the gasoline in that particular time frame, all the uh, uh, airplane fuel was uh, uh, lacking in some sort of ingredient, some sort of chemical or that make it really go. And after searching and discovering what everything was, they discovered it wasn't because of any of those things. It wasn't because of the instrument panel. It wasn't because of the, of the uh, fuel. It wasn't because of any of those things. It was because pilots would get out of their car, go to their plane, start the plane, and fly instead of checking out the plane, walking around, kicking the tires, discovering if there is enough fuel, looking at the plane itself and, and making sure that if things were, were okay. And we do that the same way. We get up in the morning, we start our day, and we don't even ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have for me today? 
We get up in the morning, we throw our clothes on, we go run, and we, 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 we go do this, and we don't even know. We just go on autopilot, and we just, we just do it. I spoke with someone two days ago. They put into practice praying a couple days before. They had always run on the parkway. Every morning, he takes a run on the parkway. I don't know how long it goes, but he runs. But the day he woke up and he decided, I'm going to pray. I'm going to put into practice what the scripture says. I'm going to pray. And the Lord spoke to him in an audible voice, he said. He said, the Lord spoke to me and I was supposed to run on noise instead of the parkway. And I was going to run on noise and I was going to turn on Messini and I was going to do all these other stuff. And so he did. Well, he ran into a guy that he hadn't seen in a long, long time. And he was in trouble. And this friend of mine that I was, I'm telling you about, he had some help that he could give. But he would have never been able to see that guy if he didn't pray ahead of time. Students, you can be an incredible, powerful friend to the people that you hang out with if you are spending time in prayer. Gentlemen, you want to make a big difference in your company? Pray. Don't let the chemical warfare of pride sneak into your life and smack you down and cause you to not have the kind of influence that God wants you to have. When you are prayerless, you allow skill and experience to take over. When you are prayerless, you allow skill and experience to take over. And you don't want that to happen. Because God says, I want you to be focused on me. God wants you to be focused on me. Abe Lincoln, one of my favorite presidents, he said, without you, Holy Spirit, I must fail. That's a great quote for you to think about. Without you, Holy Spirit, I must fail. You want to run your business well? You want to be the greatest nurse you can ever be? You want to be the best teacher? You want to be the best grandpa? Hit your knees. Pray. Seek God. That's the only way that you will become great. That's the only way you will become great. You want to be a great dad? Really, pray. And not just pray for your kids, but pray that you will have an open heart. Pray that you'll have an open heart. I can tell pride is sneaking in my life when I let unteachable, an unteachable spirit come in, prayerlessness. And then the third thing is when I isolate myself from God's people. I'm gonna step on your toes for a minute. You actually need to be in church. I believe that. Not because I'm a pastor and because Bob told me to tell me that. (laughs) Not because of that. But because you really do need each other. I need you. I need you and you need me. And that kind of environment is what makes Young Life, for instance, such a great uh, organization because they combine a lot of people together and they help focus on each other 
as they're focusing on the Lord. It's what FCA does. It's what, it's what good business uh, networks do. Networking is great, and it is, it's a wonderful thing because why? Because you're sharing ideas. I had a great um, conversation over coffee with Sarah, and uh, she's one of my heroes, I think, right now because she's, she's, um, I'm learning how to do all these things, and I met Sarah uh, over coffee uh, one morning. It was kind of an accident almost, so I just happened to be there, and she told me, she said, uh, Steve, have you got a client list together? And I'm like, that's the greatest idea I've ever heard. Everyone was like, you know, you guys are probably thinking, uh, dude, that's uh, elementary level marketing. <laughs> but I've never done this before. So she says, okay, here's what you got to do. You got to set together a client A list, a client B list, and a client C list. And she described it. I would have never known that if I would have not hooked up together with her. I would have not understood what that meant if I was not open to learning, teachable, if I had not woken up in that morning and said, God, I need you to help me because I I'm, I'm feel like I'm floundering and I don't know what to do, prayerlessness. And number three, I showed up getting my coffee, which everybody knows that's Jesus calling you to have coffee, right? <laughs> and so I met Sarah and then she's showing me some, some incredible things. You and I, we really do need each other. We really do need each other. This, this concept, nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. Jonathan Edwards said that nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. I want to be so filled up with humility that I can run into people like Sarah, that it would be a God-appointed time to do the right appointed things. Bob called me on Thursday morning and said, Steve, um, I need you for Sunday. And I looked at my calendar. He had asked me on Wednesday and he was going to let me know for sure on on, uh, Thursday morning. And that was my last Sunday until the end of June that I have free um, because of speaking and writing and things like that that I'm doing. And already I could see some light bulbs coming on in your hearts as I'm watching, as I'm looking out to you, understanding that maybe God put me here today so that you can hear a message like this. Not because I'm a better preacher than Bob. It's okay, you can tell me that. (laughs) But because I prayed because you prayed, because you're here. I don't believe that you're here by accident. I don't believe we just show up and just say, well, I gotta go to church because, well, my mother and father are making me. Well, there's a little bit of truth to that, maybe. But there is the idea that, well, maybe when I get to church, I'm gonna see my new friend, or I'm gonna see my old friend, or I'm gonna be able to say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And then God's gonna use me to say something to you that might rock your world. And it's not going to be because of Steve Sewell doing it. That's for sure. You don't need Steve Sewell in your life, believe me. (laughs) Kids say that all the time. You're still grounded, so. But maybe God would use me to say something to you. Maybe God would say something to you dads 
that if you really want to be the greatest dad in the whole wide world to your new son, that you're trying to figure out how in the world do I do it. I still want to play a lot of golf. I still want to go hang out and do a lot of fun things, but how am I going to do both of those things? And God would say, there's time for golf. There's time to have a lot of fun, but your priority is going to be a little bit different now. You're going to have an incredible opportunity to mold this new child that I've put into your life. Some of you right now are thinking about a new job that you have. You've just been transitioned into this new uh, position or this new um, place within your job, and you're wondering how you're going to do it. The worst thing that you could do, the absolute worst thing that you could do is put it all into your hands. The worst thing that you can do is carry your own life. The best thing that you could do would be for you to be able to say, okay, God, you gave me this new position and I'm really excited about it. Would you help me so I don't screw up? so that I can do this job the way that you want me to do it. And I would be so inclined to say that if you don't, then your position will be stalled. Not because God's gonna get you. That's what a lot of people think. God doesn't get you. But I think what would happen, though, is that God will wait for you to accept his teaching in your life, his humility, to be poured into your life. What does it say? Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Whose responsibility is it? It's ours. Humble yourself. You know how you do that? You become teachable. You become prayer filled. And you become connected with other people in church. I want to just conclude uh, this time with, with uh, this thought. Pride must die in me. Pride must die in me or nothing of God will ever live. Pride must die in me or nothing of God will ever live. I'm not too sure how to close our service together. Where's Stacy at? I'm not sure where Stacy is. Okay, there you are. Okay. Well, uh, does does the worship team come back up? Okay, okay. So I'm gonna have I'm gonna invite our worship team to come back. Banjo man, he's coming up. Man, I I really enjoy worship. Did you guys? Do you guys enjoy worship? I, let's give these guys a hand. I, I they don't need it. It's all Jesus. All right, it's not you. Way to go, man. Yeah. I don't know Banjo man, but I'm sure he's a great guy. Um, pride is the very sin that kicked Satan out of heaven. And pride is the very sin that will keep you from going anywhere further. And I would pray that um, if you desire to be moved by God, if you desire to really go for it in your relationship with God, which is what he wants for you, he doesn't want you to just kind of go as he, you know, just kind of see how it goes. He really wants you to fly. He really wants you to soar. He wants you, he wants you to not necessarily go fast, because I think a lot of people want that. They want to go fast, but, they go, but God wants you to go deep. He wants you to have a great encounter with him. If you want to have a great encounter, let's remove the pride 
and let's go after humility. Amen? Amen.